أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد أشرف المرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome to another episode of our podcast I want to start off today's episode with a little bit of a story of one of the Sahaba and the reason is because it's important to constantly reflect on not just the lives of the Sahaba, the lives of the Prophets, the stories of those who have come before us the stories given to us in our tradition, in the Quran and in the Sunnah you see, commonly in our lives, uh, these stories have become almost like bedtime stories. We tell them and we listen to them and we pick up on some of the funny moments and the interesting moments, but we don't really reflect on the deep messages there that are meant for us to implement within our lives, to take inspiration from. And the Rasulullah and his Habu were set as an example for us. They were set as a guide for us, as role models for us to attempt to emulate in our day-to-day lives. So the example that I want to discuss is that of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, a name that many of us know and we might know parts of his life, he was the sixth person to embrace Islam. As we know, when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa first received the wahi, he began to call the people who were close to him to Islam. He called his wife Khadija, his cousin Ali, his best friend Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu ajma'in, and they accepted his call to Islam. And Abu Bakr began preaching to those who were close to him, Uthman ibn Affan, and amongst them who embraced Islam at the hands of Abu Bakr was Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was, as I said, the sixth person to embrace Islam, very, very early. When he did this, he was only 16 years old. It's important to put this into context. You see, Quraysh in Mecca were a very tribal society. They believed very strongly in their family roots, in their forefathers' beliefs, in their idolatry. And so to go against that, the message of Rasulullah right from the beginning was a massive challenge to that. It was a challenge to the worshipping of idols. It was a challenge to the ways of their forefathers. It was a challenge to their tribal society and their practices that they used to implement. And so to go against that and to accept Islam was a challenge to the society itself. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, when he embraced Islam, was only 16 years old. 16. And at that age, he comprehended the message that was given to him by Rasulullah and he comprehended the weight of it and he comprehended the challenge that he posed towards the civilization that he lived in, towards his family, towards his tribe, towards the whole city and he chose to accept it. He chose to embrace it and he chose to implement it within his life because he understood the weight that he carried. He understood the truth behind the words of Rasulullah A few years later, the Muslims were strengthened by the Islam of two people in particular. Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib and Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. These two were soldiers, they were lions, they were known within the community of Mecca. They were loud men, they were strong. They were men who when they spoke, you listened. When they walked past, everybody turned their heads. And so when they accepted Islam, the Muslims were strengthened, not just in number, but in their confidence. They were strengthened in the fact that the two of the most powerful men, two of the most confident, outspoken men within Mecca had just become Muslim. And so Rasulullah decided this was the time to move on from the secret and private da'wah to Islam to publicly calling Quraysh to Islam. So he went to the Sahaba and he said to them, I want one of you to go out to Quraysh and to recite the Qur'an openly in front of the Kaaba. Now reciting the Qur'an openly, for us the Qur'an, most of the time it's just become a nice melody that we listen to. It's a nice sound, we put it on in the car, a nice qara with beautiful tajweed, and we might pick up on some words here and there, and sometimes they cry during the recitation and it moves our heart. But we don't really sit there and comprehend the message of the Qur'an. And nobody comprehended the message of the Qur'an more than the Arabs at the time. They understood the language, they understood the message. And so the Qur'an to them carried a weight. It wasn't just this melody and this poetry. It challenged them. 
And that's what the Quran is. The Quran is a light. It's a guidance. It's a beacon for mankind. It's meant to challenge the wrongdoings of other civilizations. It's meant to draw light to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the justice of the systems of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so it's a challenge for mankind, telling them, telling Quraysh in particular at the time, that the way that you implement, the way that you practice, the way, the way that you do things is wrong. And the way, the correct way to do things is this, which is introduced to you by, uh, you know, by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa as the message of your creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it gives glad tidings to the ones who follow that message And it gives a warning of Jahannam and of punishment for the ones who do not follow So it has a very very strong message and very strong implications And the Sahaba they knew this They knew that the person to do this will face heavy repercussions Abdullah ibn Mas'ud at the time was about 20 years old He put up his hand and he told the Sahaba He said to Rasulullah I will be the one that goes out and recites the Quran openly in front of the Kaaba Sahaba said to him are you sure? First of all, you're young. Secondly, physically you're weak. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was not a strong person. Later in his life, he was once sitting in a tree in Medina. And two other sahabis saw him and they started laughing at him. Because they said that his legs looked like twigs dangling off the tree. And Rasulullah at the time looked at them. And he rebuked them because he said that the legs of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud on the Day of Judgment are like the mountain of Uhud. The reason is because of things like this example Where despite the fact that he was young Despite the fact that he was weak Despite the fact that he didn't come from a strong or powerful family and tribe who would protect him He still put up his hand And the Sahaba said to him, are you sure? If you go out there, you're going to get beaten If you go out there, you'll get bashed He refused to back down And so he went to the Kaaba and he began to recite He recited Ar-Rahman Allama al-Qur'an Khalaq al-Insan And he recited until he got beaten and bashed Until he was bleeding and he was bruised He came back to the Sahaba And they said to him, didn't we tell you Abdullah Didn't we tell you that if you go out there you will get bashed He said to them, Wallahi Wallahi, they were more uncomfortable than I was And I will keep doing this every day if I have to Despite the fact that he was sitting there bleeding, despite the fact he had just gotten beaten, he knew that Quraysh were more uncomfortable by the weight of this message than he was uncomfortable from the physical beating that he had just gotten. He comprehended the message. He was a young man, like I said, embraced Islam at 16. He did this at 20. 20 is not an old age. The reason I bring up this story is because the topic of today's podcast is about the youth and raising the leaders of the next generation. You see, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa when he had youth around him like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, yes, he took charge and he took, you know, he, 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 took, he took the initiative to step forward and to put up his hand and to volunteer himself for that position. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa also accepted his volunteership. He could have said to him, no, let's let somebody more senior. Let's let somebody more powerful. Let's let somebody with more status within society. But he accepted Abdullah ibn, um, ibn Mas'ud's sacrifice. And he said to him, yes, you go and do it. Despite the fact that he too knew the consequences that would come, he accepted to give this responsibility to the youth around him. You know, we live in an age where our youth more and more every single day, generation after generation, are becoming more lost. You know, there's a lack of guidance, there's a lack of vision, there's a lack of purpose within our lives. We don't understand where we fit within this very confusing and very rapidly evolving world. It's, it's a struggle to identify where somebody fits. What am I doing? What is my purpose? Where am I going? How do I contribute to society? And most youth don't have the answers to these questions, nor are they given the answers to these questions, nor are they guided towards the answers to these questions. And so, as we grow older, we see more and more youth who transition into adulthood, but mentally they're still like children. 
You know, how many of us know 20-year-olds, even 30-year-olds who spend most of their time, if not all of it, behind the screen, either behind TV on Netflix or behind their Playstations or they're out with their mates or they're on social media up until 3 a.m., 4 a.m. and they sleep through the day and they contribute nothing to society. It's a story that all of us know. You know, it's common within men, it's common within women, and it's happening more and more often. There's this lack of purpose, lack of position within society. And a lot of that draws back to the fact that youth are treated like children until they're, you know, the age gets pushed back and back. It's treated like children constantly. Whether it's in school, where, you know, at one point you have to ask for permission to go to the bathroom, and then the next day it's like, okay, you've graduated school, now what are you doing the rest of your life? And you'll find that most kids around this age, graduating school, don't know what they're doing. They don't, they don't know what their calling is. They don't know what career they want to get into. They don't know what path. They don't know what, where they want to be in 10, 20 years because they've been treated like children for so long. Where their parents come and solve all of their problems, so then this 23-year-old can't solve his own problems because he's never had to do it himself since he was young. And so we end up with this perpetual cycle where... Youth are treated like children and then they grow older and they're never actually treated like adults so they never become adults. And when we compare this to Rasulullah sallallahu and the way that he treated the youth around him, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud is only one example. You know, he was 16 years old, he embraced Islam. He was 20 years old and he put up his hand to be the first person to carry the da'wah publicly. And Rasulullah sallallahu accepted to give him this responsibility. That's only one example. You know, when you look at others such as Usama bin Zayd radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Usama bin Zayd was the son of Zayd ibn Haritha, who was, om, who was almost like the son of Rasulullah sallallahu So Zayd, Usama grew up as almost as if he was a grandson of Rasulullah and he was loved by Rasulullah sallallahu He grew up within the household, constantly around the Prophet. When he was 14, 15 years old, he actually led a Muslim army in the battle of Harqa. 14 or 15, and within this army there were senior Sahaba as well present. Later, two years later, his father Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu ta'ala anhu was killed by the Romans at the battle of Mu'ta. And so a year later, Rasulullah sallallahu said, let us, you know, go back to the Romans and let us battle them once again. Let us try to take revenge for those who have passed and let us try to actually attempt to succeed this time. So he wanted to send another army to fight the Romans. And the Roman Empire was massive. You know, I don't need to tell you how big the Roman Empire was. And so now he's choosing from amongst his Sahaba who will be the leader of this army who goes and confronts the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire after the Roman Empire had just invaded the Muslims one year earlier. And who did he pick? He picked Usama bin Zayd. Usama bin Zayd, 18 years old. Amongst this army was Amr ibn Khattab. Amongst the army was Sa'ad ibn Abu Waqqas, Qatada bin Nu'man, some senior Sahaba, giants among the Sahaba. He picked this 18-year-old. The Sahaba actually came to him and they questioned this decision. They said, Ya Rasulullah, are you sure he's young? Look who you have amongst, amongst this army and you're picking this 18-year-old? He doesn't have the experience, he doesn't have the knowledge, he doesn't have the... He's not old enough. Rasulullah sallallahu his response was very simple. He said, Usama is a leader. That's it. That's enough. He didn't have to sit there justifying it. He didn't sit there trying to, you know, belittle him and act like he's a child. He said, Usama is a leader, full stop. That's it. If he's a leader, then he can do the job and let him do the job. And through this responsibility, this harbor grew. You know, we speak about Baytul Arqab where the Sahaba used to gather in Mecca and they used to hide in secret. This was the hub of the Muslims. This is where they used to, the Dawah grew from Baytul Arqab. Baytul Arqab, the house of Al Arqab. Who was Al Arqab? He was the seventh person to embrace Islam. He embraced Islam at 16 years old as well. So 16 years old and he volunteered his house to be the hiding spot for the Muslims. Where Rasulullah would come and educate the Muslims and culture them. 16 years old, that was his house. The hub was the house of a 16-year-old. Rasulullah treated them like men, and so they grew up to be like men. 
So this is what Rasulullah sallallahu he says later in his life, Nusirtu bis shabab, I was given victory through the youth. Because the Muslims, they achieved many victories throughout the life of Rasulullah sallallahu And none of this could have been achieved without the youth that he had around him. And he wasn't just given victory through the youth, but he actually raised and cultured and, you know, nurtured these youth to become the leaders that they would become. Ali ibn Abi Talib, you know, a child when he embraced Islam, would later become the Khalifa. During a time of a lot of fitna and a tumultuous time for the Muslims, but he had the leadership to be able to guide the Muslims through this period. He was raised by Rasulullah in the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was given those responsibilities and those commitments by Rasulullah and so that he understood his purpose, he understood where he fit within the world. And this was the example of the Muslims for centuries afterwards, you know. We look back at the history of Islam and how Islam spread from east to west, north to south, how the Muslims were victorious in battles, how Muslim you know, thinkers and scholars were able to expand on Islamic knowledge, books upon books upon, you know, collections published, we look at how Muslims progress in science, in mathematics, all of this was built on the backs of youth. You know, look at any great opening, any great success in Muslim history, majority were led by youth. Whether it was in Andalusia, whether it was in India, whether it was Al-Aqsa itself, Salahuddin Ayyub, rahimahullah, the Ummah was in shambles at the time, they were disunited, and Masjid Al-Aqsa had been occupied for 96 years by the Crusaders. Used as a dump, used as a church, and the Muslims had no unity. Salahuddin Ayyubi was recognized when he was 25 years old by the Khalifa. And he was recognized as somebody who was, a few, who was a leader, who had the ability to unite the Muslims. Him as well as a few others around him who were also youth. And Salahuddin was placed as the governor of Alexandria in Egypt at the age of 25. Later he was appointed as the governor of Egypt and later he led the army that would reopen Jerusalem. And he reunited the Muslim Ummah. But he was given this responsibility at a young age. You know, imagine now, 25 years old, governor of one of the largest cities within the Muslim empire. But he was given that responsibility because the Khalifa understood the importance of the youth in carrying this message. So we see these examples time and time and time again in history. And now you compare that to where we are today, not just the Muslim Ummah, but the world in general. You know, the world isn't in a good place, to speak very frankly. And we all recognize this in many ways, whether it's on an individual level, you know, Individuals are lost, we have incredible rates of depression, anxiety, suicide, addiction, substance abuse, you know, within families, we have divorces, we have disconnected families, broken homes, we have children, who, people who are homeless, um, within society we have these incredible rates of issues such as, you know, sex and pornography, and then on a massive worldwide scale we have war, we have famine, we have poverty, we have, you know, we have this virus is spread around the world and nobody's able to put together a solution and how to tackle it and we see problem after problem after problem and a lack of solution a lack of guidance a lack of light within the world and we know that when we look at any issue islam has the answer you know we were taught that today islam was complete and we know that rasulullah allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent islam as the final message for mankind rasulullah as the final messenger for mankind so his message applies to all of us and there is not one thing not one issue wherever you find it that islam has not addressed in some way shape or form so when we look at these issues from the smallest to the larger scale islam has the solution and so all of us for whatever reason whatever drives us we want to find justice and peace and unity within the world nobody will tell you that i love seeing the world in turmoil Everybody wants to find solutions for the world. But nobody will find the solutions except the Muslims. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the answers. So if we are not the ones putting forward those answers, putting forward the solutions, finding justice within society, then who will? And if it isn't the youth at the forefront of driving this change within the world, then who will it be? You know, Rasulullah was a man who came and he revolutionized the world. He transformed society. He came to a society where people were adulterers, where they were drunks, where they would worship idols, where they would bury their children, where they would cheat in their trade. And he transformed all of that. The first person to ever abolish alcoholism within his society. The first person to you know, revolutionize you know, the concept of racism wasn't present within his society. The freedoms that were given to slaves at his time was things that were never seen before. And so he brought justice to the world in a way that was never seen. And we know that Rasulullah is an example for us. So if he did all of those things, it is also our job to do all of those things. And nobody can do that but the Muslims. And nobody within the Muslims can do that if the youth are not part of that transformation. And so we need to make sure that we raise the next generation to be leaders of the Ummah. The first way to do that is to lead by example. As fathers, as mothers, as brothers and sisters, as cousins, as teachers, as mentors, as guides, as who, who, whatever your relationship is to the next generation We all know people younger than us Who are growing up as you know, Muslims with so much potential And it is our job to number one Lead by example You know, How will a child grow up to pray If he doesn't see his father praying How will he grow up to value Islam If his parents don't value Islam How will he grow up to think of Islam As the basis of all of his decisions When he sees his parents for example Are buying a house or riba And they're valuing their work and their dunya above the akhirah How will he grow up to then value the deen So we need to make sure that we lead by example And that's the first step On top of that we need to make sure that within the next generation We culture the right qualities To be able to breed the leaders Who will lead the world out of the dumps that it's currently in And the first quality that they need without a doubt is Islam They need to have a connection to Islam They need to be cultured as Muslims They need to develop a strong Islamic personality Where the basis for their decisions is halal and haram The way that they view the universe is As a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And as something within the controls of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And so therefore they base their decisions You know, on that We need to raise them as Muslims with a connection to the Quran You know, how many parents spend so much time and so much money and so much effort to push their kids through sports, through other hobbies, through education, sending them to the most expensive of schools and tutoring centers and trying to just get them to have achieve everything of the dunya. But then how much time do you dedicate to their deen, to culture them, send them to Islamic classes, to lectures, to, to, to learn the Quran, to memorize the Quran. So it's important that we prioritize this. It's important to also ensure that the next generation of youth are educated. They need to be educated. An educated person can't lead the world. And educated doesn't just mean high marks in school. Educated means understanding the world, knowing how to analyze situations, knowing how to respond to people, how to solve problems. Educated means being able to look at the bigger picture and to be able to bring Islam into the world and to be able to provide solutions. You know, one of the best ways to do this is through reading. Reading, it's so, so simple. The more that a child reads, the more information they, they, they encounter. And the more knowledge that they grow and the more capacity that they have to be able to solve problems and to, and to you know, think on the bigger picture. Reading is one of the things that are actually looked down upon. You know, it's becoming less and less common, generally speaking, through the rise of technology and through social media and our phones. But even as you know, Muslims or within our community, we look down on it so much. When somebody says that they read, we laugh at them. You ask somebody, do you read? They'll laugh and say, I haven't. they'll say proudly that they haven't read a book since they were in school. And it's, it's, a, it's a shame. It's a shame that we look down upon this. When Islam, the first revelation given to Rasulullah was Iqra, read. But then we mock those who read and we look down upon it and we don't value it within our children. So we need to lead by example and then we need to foster this habit within our children.
We need to make sure that they know how to solve problems. And they can't solve the world's problems unless they can solve their own. You know, so many kids, as I was saying before, that their parents solve all of their problems for them. There's a fight between siblings, their parents come and solve it. You know, the child's unable to find work, so then the parents come and help him. They, they find the work for them. Uh, issue with teachers at school, the parents come and they solve the problem. They tell off the teacher and they side with the child. And so the child loses its ability to solve their own problems, to think critically, to, you know, analyze risks and consequences and benefits and where do I fit into this situation and who am I helping and who's, who's being harmed and being able to actually solve those problems themselves. So when your children have problems, let them solve those problems. Guide them through the process, watch over them, but let them solve it themselves. Give them that independence just as Rasulullah gave these roles to the children around him, to the youth around him, and he fostered within them this responsibility, this himma for the deen. The responsibility, caring, taking ownership of the deen. So foster that within children from the ba- most basic of things. A fight between siblings, let them talk it out, let them solve it. And just guide them through the process. If they don't have issues in their life, alhamdulillah, give them issues to solve. Give them scenarios and if one of your friends did this, then what would you do? And if somebody said this, and somebody discuss these problems with them and guide them through the process so that they develop this skill. It's important. It's also important that they know how to communicate because how can somebody lead if he can't speak to people? So we need to develop this skill within the youth. And it's being lost more and more. Mostly due to the rise of technology, to the, behind devices all day. When we do speak to people, it's either over the phone or it's via text. And through that we lose you know, the tone of voice and we lose the body language. and we lose. So then when you go to speak to people, you can't maintain eye contact. You can't carry on this body, this body language. And you lose majority of the message. You know, Somebody could have the best of words, but if they can't convey that to people, it's worthless. People won't be convinced. So we need to build this skill. So get them off their devices and take them out to the world. Get them to talk to other kids. Get them to talk to adults. Get them to be more social. You know, take them on the bus and speak to the person next to you. Speak to the bus driver. Do whatever it is, but get them out of that comfort zone and get them to speak to people. Teach them how to argue, how to resolve conflicts. Like I said, between siblings. Teach them how to actually communicate and solve this problem. And it's a massive, massive skill that they'll be able to carry on in their lives. And give them that responsibility. Just as Rasulullah gave the responsibility to the youth around him. To... Osama bin Zayd, to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, to Al-Arqam. How he gave them these responsibilities which then made them part of the ummah. It gave them ownership of the deen. It made them feel like I am contributing towards this deen. I am contributing towards the world. And so when we have these youth and we're trying to give them responsibilities and trying to give them a vision and a purpose, we want to be able to make sure that they can connect this with the world. You know, this harbour were given this vision by Rasulullah They were told that we are going to conquer Persia and Rome. We're going to conquer Constantinople. He gave them that promise and so they had this vision of the world. Talk to your kids and tell them they're not lying to the world when they see Muslims around the world being tortured, being punished, being killed. Tell them, my son, my daughter, you will be the one who will carry the ummah out of these problems. You will be the one who carries the ummah back to the status and the heights that it was in, in history. You will be the one who saves your Muslim brothers who are being killed in China. You will be the one who saves your Muslim sisters who are being tortured in Burma. You will be the one who saves you know, the Muslim Ummah from the hunger and the war and the famine and the oppression that he faces. Give them that responsibility and that vision. You know, Muhammad al-Fatih, the Khalifa who, early in his, he, who conquered Constantinople, sorry, and he spread the, the, the Khilafah, one of the biggest conquests in history. When he was 13 years old, he heard from his teacher, from his sheikh, the hadith of Rasulullah that Constantinople will one day be opened and how blessed will be the leader who opens it, how blessed will be the army that opens it. He was told that hadith by his teacher. And so he asked his sheikh at 13 years old, could that be me? 
the Amir that's mentioned in the hadith, and his sheikh said to him, yes, less than 10 years later, in his early 20s, how many of us are even older than that? He led the army, he, he was the Khalifa of the Muslims, he led the army, who opened Constantinople, conquered the largest city in the world at the time, because he had that vision, he had that desire that I will be the one who does this, and he was given that desire, that purpose, by his teachers, by his parents. So we need to breed that same purpose within our youth. You know, kids have massive imaginations. You ask any child, what do you want to be when you grow up? They don't tell you, you know, I want to be an accountant. I want to sit behind the desk. I want to be, you know, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't look for mundane things. They have massive imaginations. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be king of the world. I want to be president. I want to, you know, go to the moon. They have these massive imaginations. I want to be a billionaire. When they say that, we shut them down. You know, we guide them towards something. You know, Habib has become a lawyer. But, we need to foster that and guide that, direct that towards Islam. Direct the massive imagination, that massive potential, that massive hopes that they have for the world. They see themselves as king of the world. Guide them towards being that position, but within the scope of Islam. And we need to make sure that above all, as we do this, constantly making dua for ourselves and for our children and for, for the ummah. So that the ummah can be raised from the ruins that it's in so that the ummah can be raised to the status that it was previously at so that it can provide justice to the world, provide guidance to the world, you know, provide mercy to overcome hunger, to overcome poverty and famine and war, to provide the justice that Rasulullah brought to this world. Making dua for our, for our youth and our next generation to be the leaders, to be the, the, a light within this world and making dua for ourselves to constantly stay steadfast. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us among the people of Jannah and unite us with our loved ones in Jannah for those with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Aqooli qawli hadha wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.